guys. Welcome back to the Spirit-Led Discipleship Podcast. I'm Nate Harkness, and today I really wanted to share some of my personal story, my testimony of um, where I'm coming from just spiritually and the journey that has led me to these last uh, four and a half years just uh, experiencing, tangibly experiencing the um, wonderful, joyful, beautiful presence of God uh, in my mind and also in my body uh, many times every day. So um, let's just jump right in. I, I grew up in Minnesota in a Christian home. Um, both my parents were doing some kind of uh, ministry or church work, and uh, I was kind of a, a tender, sensitive kid, um, had a, a heart to do good, uh, and so I gave my life to Jesus when I was seven, uh, but I struggled to, uh, <laughs> I struggled for a long time uh, to really feel like it took to feel like it made an impact. So I, like many people who grew up in my tradition, sort of the American evangelical tradition, I rededicated my life over and over again, <laughs> every Sunday, um, hoping that it would stick and it never seemed to stick. Um, so when I was 15, I rebelled, uh, ran away from home, did a bunch of stuff and uh, came back. Uh, and <laughs> Over the course of time, uh, realized you know I'm I'm not very good at being a Christian, but I'm also not b very good at being uh, a heathen. So, <laughs> I was sort of stuck, and um, I I remember praying a prayer when I was 16 years old, and I said, God, um, uh, I'm not good at following you, and I'm not good at not following you, and I don't know what to do, but if you will provide the strength and the ability every day. Um, I will show up and I will walk with you um, with the strength that you provide. And it was like something broke through and um, this thing kind of lifted off my shoulders. And I felt as though in some sort of intangible way that the Lord showed up in my life that day and, um, and said, okay, I can work with that. Um, and every day I just had this sense, even though I struggled and, and there was some hard stuff and... Um, and I wasn't always <laughs> very nice or Christ-like. Um, I did feel like the Lord showed up and um, in some very intangible way just showed up and uh, helped me each day. When I was 18, uh, I had an experience uh, that was sort of new for me. I was working at a camp and uh, I had a few just spiritual moments that, uh, that summer at camp. And uh, one of them was... I was walking in the woods with some friends uh, during our last night. I was a camp counselor with my with my cabin of kids, and we were walking through the woods, and um, we were going from uh, station to station. Uh, we did what's called Stations of the Cross, and we did these dr dramatic reenactments of the of the week uh, that Jesus uh, was crucified, and. Uh, all these different scenes, uh, we would walk through them. And um, as we were walking up to one of these scenes, there was sort of this stillness in the air. Um, and as we were walking, this kind of this sense of awe sort of uh, settled on the whole group. And then um, I felt something like like a, a little tiny lightning bolt just go you know, down my arms and down my spine. My hair stood up on end. 
And it was just sort of uh, surprising. And I turned around to my, uh, my fellow counselors and I was like, wow, did you guys feel that? And they're like, yeah, we felt that. And um, sort of this new experience of, um, of God, being, God being present, not in a general sense of like God's always present, but God being manifestly present. And I, I um, thought it was just a wonderful uh, feeling. I thought it was a wonderful experience. Um, and, and during that time of my life, I read two books that really shaped my hunger and desire for the Christian life. Uh, one was called Heinz Feet in High Places by uh, Hannah Hernard. And, uh, and it's an allegory of, of our life with Jesus and our journey um, from uh, the place where we came from to what she calls the high places, uh, which are places of um, you know, victory and uh, joy and delight and a new identity in Christ. And uh, she kind of goes with her, uh, her, her main character through these seasons of climbing and these seasons of descent and wilderness and trial and um, uh, facing her demons. And, uh, and all along the way, the chief shepherd, uh, Jesus, is there alongside uh, the main character, whose name is Much Afraid. And, and, and by the end, she gets a new name and, uh, and is really made beautiful and perfect um, in the eyes of the chief shepherd and uh, walks with a lot of joy and victory. And, and I, I thought, that's, that's wonderful, just a, a lifelong friendship, companionship with Jesus. Um, that sounds amazing. And the other book that really um, changed my life was called uh, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And it's a classic. Uh, it's a, a Carmelite monk from the 17th century who wrote about his experience entering a monastery. And um, he said that when he entered the monastery, he was given all of these devotional books, the Praying the Hours and the, the different um, literature, uh, classics, uh, devotional literature. And he said, um, all of this would serve to confuse me. Uh, I realized I'm a simple, simple person and all of this stuff would just confuse me. And so I, I set aside all the books and all the, all the literature, um, and all the forms, uh, and the religious stuff. And I just made it my ambition to think about God as often as possible. And so he would be just in the in the kitchen washing dishes. And he said, I experienced God as much um, down there washing dishes as I did at, at um, regular prayers. And he would observe the, the ways in which he experienced God, how he got into God's presence, how he experienced God's presence, and, um, and, and what would affect it. And so he sort of made himself a laboratory of experimentation in um, in in finding and experiencing the presence of God in his mind, heart, and body. And I read that and I went, wow, I have no clue what this guy's talking about, but I want it. If there's a, um, if there's a way to experience consistent connection, um, that, you know, that is, that I can access. That's not like super spiritual, like, um, like I need it explained to me. I need I need to know how to get there. But on a fundamental level, like I longed for connection. That's a that's a big part of my just personal um, 
story and personal brokenness was um, I've always really wanted a deep and meaningful connection, but I've always struggled to to get it in a meaningful way. Uh, and I was, you know, uh, grew up in a big home of four siblings, and uh, and I often played alone. Uh, I was sort of on the outskirts of things, uh, whether socially at school, on the playground, or even at home. Uh, I sort of, uh, I was an imaginative kid. I sort of played on my own, but part of me just always longed for deep, meaningful connection, but I struggled with it. And so when I read about this idea of connecting with God, uh, that was such an attractive concept to me and I wanted it. And so it sort of became the, the, the benchmark for my spiritual life is like, you know, how can I get more connection with God? Because I know that, um, for me to change, I need to experience him. Like he has to be my, my, my life. Um, it has to flow out of me. It's not enough for me to perform religious duty. Um, like I actually have to change from the inside out. Um, and I had a lot of stuff that, uh, was in the way. Um, I had a really strong sort of religious spirit where, um, where I judged myself and others by a really high standard that, um, that I couldn't meet and that others couldn't meet. And so, um, people were always disappointing me. I was always disappointing me and, um, and God felt far away. And so fast forward a few years, um, I eventually sort of, um, went through a lot of experiences and I eventually lost my faith, eventually became agnostic. And, um, it was really in studying miracles, modern day miracles that, um, that I had some, some sense of, uh, a restored faith that wasn't just about rationalism. It was, um, it was about, um, the, the reality of God in our world today. Uh, and, uh, and not just about philosophical arguments for God, which was really sort of what my faith became at one point was these philosophical arguments for God or the idea of grace being compelling, but in reality, it wasn't working for my life. And so, um, you know, at, at one point I just had to let the, that, uh, aspect of my faith, uh, sort of die. <laughs> and what was born from the ashes was um, just a fresh desire to experience God as a reality in my life and world today. So I started learning about the, just the heart of God, um, not just theology, but what's, what's God like? Um, I started learning from people who'd had these experiences of God. Um, one in particular, um, named Jack Frost, who talked a lot about just being fathered by God. And this was a, a new idea. When I thought about God loving us, um, my, my picture of that was sort of a, um, like I used to draw God. Uh, there's a cloud um, where his, uh, you know, his lower half should be, and his upper half is uh, just sort of this jolly, um, benevolent grandpa looking guy. Um, and, and God loved you in a otherworldly, uh, general benevolent sense. Yeah, God loves you, but he loves everyone. 
And uh, as I started listening to the, uh, some of these people teach, Jack and um, some others like Leif Hatland and um, people who had really experienced what they called this baptism of love, um, it was sort of mysterious to me. But um, they talked about bathing in the Father's love and just soaking in his love and just experiencing his love. And, and I just didn't know what to do with these guys. But, but I knew that, um, that it sounded good. It sounded like something that I wanted. I wanted that connection. Um, and, and during that time, I started learning how to listen to God, how to listen to the Holy Spirit. I had some great mentors who just gave me chances to try and fail and try again in, uh, in listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I learned is uh, God talks to people today. He didn't just talk to people in the Bible. And one of the, one of the main things that I started hearing from God is that he loved me. Um, I would hear God say, uh, you're my child. I love you so much. And I am for you. I accept you. I embrace you. And it started really um, messing with me. It started melting my heart and softening my uh, judgmental edges. And, um, and really, the, the, the place that it was felt the most was in my marriage. Uh, because I had sort of been in, uh, in an <laughs> a position of um, criticizing and accusing my wife uh, for many years. I held her to a high standard, again, that I couldn't live up to and that nobody else could live up to. And, uh, and one day, as the Lord was just speaking to me about how much he loved me, and I could, I could almost feel his presence just right there with me, um, I heard him say, you know, child, your wife has an accuser, and I'm not it. <laughs> and I realized in a moment that for th that first five years, um, I had partnered or been uh, been party to uh, a voice in my in my wife's life that was always saying, "You're not good enough. You don't measure up. You're not acceptable." And it was the voice of the enemy. It was the voice of Satan. And it j it broke my heart to think. Wow, I've really like channeled the voice of the enemy in in the life of my of the person I love the most in the world, um, and uh, and so our our marriage started to change. Um, the problem was, I while I was in that season, um, living with my my in laws, having a nice. Uh, back porch with beautiful weather and a nice cup of coffee in the morning, um, a space that I could get away to every day. And I, as long as I was in the habit of doing that, um, I experienced God. But as soon as we started traveling and our rhythms got thrown off, um, I, I reverted and I went back to how I was. And so I had a sort of an external way of creating an, an environment or a space where I could meet with God um, but I had not internalized that space. I, I didn't have like a, what, what Christians might call like a secret place on the inside where I could go to no matter where I was. It had to be, it was sort of circumstance driven. Uh, if I was, uh, out on the porch, it was a beautiful day, a cup of coffee in my hand, um, God might show up, but it was mysterious to me how he would show up and why he would show up and why did you choose to show up today and not yesterday? And it was sort of this underlying idea of God is responsible for, quote, showing up in my life. 
And while there are some things that I can do to help the process, it's mostly just a decision that God makes or not given the day. Um, and I was, in, in subtle ways, I was taught that theology, that you would go through these mountains and valleys, these dry seasons and deserts, and, and you never knew where you were. And um, if you were in a desert, you just had to do the best you can uh, to believe God uh, when, you know, when he had decided for your own good to not be involved and connected in your life. Um, and, and nobody explicitly taught me that. that. That's sort of what I came to understand uh, by reading between the lines of what people shared in their experience. Um, and it was, really, it was really sort of a bad theology. Uh, and so when I stopped experiencing God, I figured, well, I guess I'm just in the desert and I got to just hang on and, um, and get through the season. And that, that season of life, that lasted um, three or four years. And in the middle of that season, uh, I experienced uh, such an intense uh, dryness and isolation and burnout. I was doing ministry full-time at that time, and I'd really um, become married to my ministry. Uh, I had started getting my needs met from my ministry, and it was, um, it was this sort of addiction in my life. And... And I could still hear from God a little bit. Um, and I could still experience him once in a while. But I started having more and more anxiety in my life and more and more um, sense of purposelessness in my life. And, and God spoke to me really clearly. And he, um, he asked me to step out of the, uh, the part of my ministry that I enjoyed the most, traveling to Africa um, and all around the world to, uh, to t uh, do these leadership seminars. Um, he asked me to step away from that for an indefinite period of time. And it was really just a, a step of faith for me to say, okay, uh, I will step away from that. And so for a year, I was, I was home um, changing a lot of diapers, um, helping out on the back end office stuff. And if you guys know me, you know that I, I don't thrive in that environment. And so during that year, I just looked for anything I could control, anything that I could, you know, get my hands on, that I could, um, that I could manage and control. So I tried to start new things. You ever been in in a season where you're just like, um, you're between things and you're trying to figure out what's next, and it's like this desperate quest for what's next. Uh, so every day I, I would be like, okay, I'm not doing ministry. What am I doing? Am I starting a coffee shop? Am I starting a band? Am I buying a farm? Am I like, like I would just, you know, try to connect. What, like, what are my real dreams? You know, what do, what do I really want to do? And I was, I, I'm imagine God was sort of laughing at me um, because he and I both knew that what I needed to do was sit still. And I was having a really hard time sitting still. And I made some big mistakes that year. Uh, financially and um, and you know relationally emotionally uh, that caused it to be longer than it had to be I realized uh, later on that wow that season really didn't need to be a full year but um, for me for where I was it kind of did so that was sort of this intense wilderness and um, what happened was I went to counseling and I started realizing that um, 
that I was trying to get my needs met through my work and uh, through my marriage primarily. Um, and also through my through friendships. Uh, I was trying to get uh, my core needs met. I'm not talking about my, you know, uh, my, my just uh, need for, uh, you know, basic human companionship and uh, things like that. Uh, I'm talking about the deep existential needs uh, that go way, way back, you know, way back in my life to some of my core areas of wounding and brokenness. Um, those needs, I was trying to get fixed and healed um, by the approval of people in ministry, uh, by my wife, by, um, and I didn't know how to bring my needs to God. So when I went to counseling, I saw this Christian counselor and I sat with her and it was really helpful to have someone to talk to about what was going on. But when we, when we finally identified the issue is I'm trying to get my needs met in all the wrong places and I should get my needs met from God. I was really honest and I just said, um, I don't know how to do that. And I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. It kind of feels like this religious thing that Christians say, because it sounds good, but nobody seems to know how that's done. Like, how is God supposed to meet your your deepest emotional needs? Like, how is he supposed to meet your, your tangible, physical needs? Like, we all have needs. Like, um, how are we supposed to uh, how are we supposed to allow God to meet us in those in a way that actually feels satisfying and that doesn't just feel like some uh, conjured up religious exercise? And honestly, uh, I'm not sure my counselor knew the answer to that. Um, maybe she knew it for herself, but didn't know how to teach others. And so it sort of sent me on this um, this quest of like, okay, uh, if if my wife's not available and my job's not available, or maybe that's not even healthy to get my needs met in those places, um, how can I bring this to God? And so I started just getting curious. And at that time, just emotionally, um, I wasn't doing well. Our, our marriage was not doing great. And, um, and I had heard about something called the Emmanuel Approach. And uh, the Emmanuel Approach was... Uh, was something that my friends uh, back in Chicago were using uh, to sort of address these um, traumatic memories that uh, they had experienced that were sort of blocking um, blocking their health and also their their connection with God. And what was sort of surprising to me about the Emmanuel approach was one of my best friends uh, did it and actually started growing in areas that. Um, he had not grown in a long time and he started saying, you know, this actually works and I'm starting to feel like different and I'm starting to experience God in new ways. And I thought, well, that's sort of what I've always wanted was a reliable, consistent pathway whereby I could experience God. And so, um, so I found a facilitator who was willing to take me uh, through the Emmanuel approach on Skype and so we sat down, me and Vince, uh, one afternoon, and in an hour and a half, in a very non-spiritual environment, um, you know, my boss interrupted once or twice, you know, the fluorescent lights were blaring overhead, there's no background music, no incense, it was super, uh, just matter of fact. And my friend is, is a very, uh, 
you know, um, left brain sort of person. So he's, uh, he's rational, um, matter of fact kind of guy. And, uh, and he took me through this process that totally changed my life. What he did was he asked me to, uh, to think about a positive memory um, and to describe it in detail. And as I described this memory that I had of sitting over Lake Superior with my legs dangling over the pier, just watching the sunrise on a uh, early, early one morning before school, back in high school, uh, he said, uh, let's, let's just invite Jesus to be there with you. And he asked me, um, do you see Jesus anywhere? And I looked around, and more clearly than I've ever been able to picture Jesus before, I was able to see Jesus sitting to my right. And it, it surprised me. It's sort of like, like maybe jump. Like, wow, Jesus is, is really there. And it really feels real that he's there. And I could see him in his robes, and the wind was sort of whipping against his robes. And he was looking out over the horizon. Um, and he turned to me and he gave me, he, he said something immediately, he turned to me and he gave me a scripture reference. It was, um, I can't remember what the reference was. It was, um, it was one of the Psalms. It was a specific verse in the Psalms. And the verse was, um, uh, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Um, the God of glory thunders over the mighty waters. And I looked over the the water and I could see the, the clouds starting to billow up. And it was, it was sort of, I think Jesus's way of saying, this is real. Like you're not making this up. Um, and so I, I, <laughs> I said, okay, you know, if this is real, like, let's really go for it. And so Jesus like took me by the hand and walked me from that positive memory where I felt connected to him to a negative memory where I didn't feel connected to him. And, um, and I couldn't see Jesus in that memory, but I could see a lot of shame. <laughs> There's a lot of, um, a lot of lies and a lot of shame. They were sort of hovering around that memory. Initially, when I entered that memory, it didn't feel, it didn't feel traumatic. Um, it was sort of surrounding a painful, uh, and shameful issue in my life. But it was an, uh, an instance of me trying to do the right thing in the middle of, um, you know, some, some shameful things that I had done uh, earlier on. And, uh, and so I, I, I entered the memory thinking, well, this is not a traumatic memory. This is just me doing the right thing um, and taking responsibility for something that I had done. Uh, but as I walked through the memory, I realized that there was a, there was a message attached to the memory. And the message was, uh, you're the bad guy. You're the bad one. And because you're the bad one, um, you are not lovable. Uh, you, you are not worthy of love, acceptance, and belonging. And, uh, and you're not worthy of connection. And interesting that the thing that had been my greatest hunger, connection uh, with God, was the thing that I felt disqualified for. Um, because, uh, because I was the bad one, um, you know, because of the things that I had done in the past. And as I sat there in the memory, I just invited Jesus into the memory and he, sh he again, sort of popped into the scene sitting to my right again. And, um, he built this, 
I saw him like taking these metal plates and using them to build this like cocoon around me. And then he crawled inside this dark little cocoon that was really only big enough for one person, but he sort of squished himself in there, like really, really close to me. He put his hand on my chest and he looked at me and he said, um, you are um, worthy of love because I made you worthy. Um, and, and you're lovable because I love you. And it was sort of this intense, like, like Jesus just like speaking right into the center of me. Uh, and, and I could feel it dislodging something. I felt something lift off of me. And when I ended the prayer time, I, I knew that I was different. You know, I could feel like this lightness about me, like, like the, the huge shame block of, um, of I know you want to connect with God and I know you want to connect with others, but you're never going to get that because you're not a good person. Like you are a horrible person, you know, spending so much time and so much uh, ink and, and paper uh, journaling about, am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Like what's really at the center of me? And, and it was like Jesus in one moment took that, um, message out of my heart and and said that's just it's the wrong question to say are you a good person or a bad person like without me you're bad with me you're good <laughs> and um and 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 but the important thing is i love you and i'm for you and and you don't have to spend your life like critiquing yourself and comparing yourself to others and judging yourself and then judging others as well like that's that's what religion does um, that's not my heart for you. And so it like really shook me. Um, it shook that message loose, uh, from my life and immediately noticed uh, a difference. Like I was, uh, I found myself like having less social anxiety. I found myself like believing that, you know, people would, uh, accept me and like me more than I ever had before. Um, but one of the, one of the major, sort of benefits of having an experience like that where I tangibly powerfully felt the the presence of Jesus at the right moment in my life where I was hungering for that more than anything else is I started to believe that um, I think that I can experience this in other ways, in other places. Um, this is what I've been hungry for my whole life. And if I will just practice uh, grabbing hold of and holding on to this beautiful gift, um, I bet I can learn to experience God. Because one of the, one of the main sort of tenets of the uh, Emmanuel approach is that God is always willing and able to meet you in a way that, that, is, uh, that you can experience and feel in a way that's meaningful to you. Always, 100% of the time, God is willing to give his presence. Um, and if there's something in the way, it's on our end and not on his. So God, God is always leaning towards us with his grace. He's always leaning into us 100% of the time. God's nature is connection. He is a God in Trinity. Um, he, he longs to be with us. He lives in us. 
And what blocks our ability to experience that reality or to, to, to have uh, to experience the manifestation of the, that reality in our, in our mind, heart, and body is, um, is not his will. It's never his will to withdraw from us, ever, ever, ever. And I know that really messes with some of our theological boxes. Um, it is biblical. I've <laughs> I later went back and, you know, is this really, is this really biblical? Because this doesn't seem like anybody's experienced this. Um, and, and the more I became convinced that this is actually the heart of God is always to connect with me, the more willing I was to try uh, connecting with God and to believe that if there is something in the way, it's on my end and not on his, and to believe that there is a way and a process when there's something in the way to, with his help, remove that blockage so that we can then connect with, with Jesus. So what happened is I woke up the next morning and I went out to, um, to the bird sanctuary, which is a place locally that I like to go just to be alone and to pray. And I, I got out of my car the next morning after the Emmanuel approach and I said, I bet that God could be here with me now uh, if I asked him to. And I said, Holy Spirit, are you there? And I heard a voice in my head saying, yes, child, I'm here and I love you. And that was it. Super simple. Um, I could have made it up, but it felt real. It felt true that he was there. And I could feel in my body, similarly to what I felt in the Emmanuel session, this sort of... um, electrically charged uh, presence and affection and kindness. Um, I felt like the presence of kindness (laughs) there with me in the woods. And I could see Jesus um, in my mind's eye, not with my physical eye, but in my mind's eye, I could close my eyes and sort of picture Jesus walking next to me with a contented smile on his face, just enjoying being with me and having time with me. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. I want to hold on to that feeling and practice it in other places. So I think later that day or the next day, I was in the, in the grocery store and I stopped in the middle of the cereal aisle and I said, wow, Jesus are you here? And I heard the same voice saying, yes, child, I'm here and I love you. And I started, I started practicing um, and, and experimenting. I wonder, and I, it was just sort of this, this uh, curiosity. I wonder if I could experience God um, while I'm trying to figure out how to manage my kids. Um, so my, my daughter is, you know, <laughs> at that time, uh, I think three years old. And she doesn't want to get her clothes on to go to church. So what am I going to do? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I'm frustrated. I'm impatient. I say, well, I wonder if Jesus could be here with us in this moment. I said, wow, Jesus, are you here with me? And I would hear the Lord say, yes, I'm here. I love you. And I would feel just this, like, this, like, like a, like a, um, like a valve was opened in the bucket of my (laughs) tension and all this tension flooded out. And I, and, and Jesus was with me and, and he would say things like, you know, like he would give me advice on how to parents, like, like, Hey, be really patient and be really kind. Uh, you know, here, here's a place where you can be firm 
and and hold your ground. Here's a place where you just just be patient and gentle and don't let it bother you. And he would like teach me um, how to be a parent. And I started bringing him into my marriage and I'd be spending time with Deborah and say, I wonder if Jesus could be here with us. And, um, and so, so any time that I had a new circumstance that I hadn't felt Jesus before, I would try to bring him in just by, by quieting my mind and saying, Jesus, can you be here with me right now? And I would listen. And, and I would all, almost always, really quickly, experience his presence or at least hear his voice affirming his presence. Now, there were some notable times that it didn't happen where I'd say, Jesus, can you be here with me right now? And I would feel nothing. Um, or I would just continue feeling anxious or angry or afraid. And then I would say, well, that's weird. I should be able to feel Jesus because he loves me. He lives inside of me. And so if there's something in the way, that's, that's going to be on my end. That's, that's inside. That's between my two ears. That's not in his heart. And so let's go figure out what is in the way and, and how we can move it so we can experience more of God. And so I remember several times um, I would be in the middle of a tense conflict with Deborah or, um, you know, with the kids or I'd be feeling really impatient towards somebody at work or whatever it is. And I'd say, hold on a minute, I'll be back. And I would go out to the front porch and I would sit there and I would say, Jesus, it's weird that I'm not experiencing you. Can you show me where this is coming from? what's in the way, and how to remove it. And then I would sit silently, and I would pay attention to the thoughts that came into my, to my mind and heart. And um, many, many times, uh, the Lord would lead me to a memory. Um, and sometimes it was, you know, oftentimes it was grade school, kindergarten memory, or uh, fourth grade memory. Uh, memories where I would get in trouble for... Um, <laughs> You know, like bringing something to school that I wasn't supposed to bring, or I would uh, feel afraid and alone on my first day of kindergarten and, you know, wonder where I was going to get a friend. And Jesus would show up in these memories. Sometimes they didn't make any sense why I was thinking about this memory. Um, But as I walked through the memory with Jesus, I started realizing there were these themes that emerged in these memories that were anchoring these these false beliefs and these these wrong ways of thinking about myself, about people, and about God. Um, and as he showed me, uh, for instance, you know, uh, the first day of kindergarten, he showed me uh, that when I showed up uh, at kindergarten, I was nervous and I was afraid that I wouldn't have any friends and I was scared. But uh, I saw Jesus walking me into the to the back corner of the kindergarten classroom on the first day of kindergarten. And I met a boy named Pat who was playing with dinosaurs. And he, he looked at me and I said, uh, you know, I asked him his name and, um, and he said, hey, do you want to play dinosaurs? And I could see us playing with these little plastic dinosaurs. And Jesus was playing with us. And Jesus said, see, you know, when you needed a friend, I provided friends for you. And even when you didn't have friends physically, I was with you. Um, and I was your friend. Even if you didn't feel it at the time, I was there as your friend. 
And, uh, and I started realizing, wow, I really always have a friend in Jesus. And I can always talk to Jesus. And I can always be with Jesus. And, it's, and it would totally change not only the way I think uh, when I'm feeling isolated, abandoned, or alone uh, in, in a relationship, uh, but also the way I feel. So you know the difference. Like your mind can tell you, okay, uh, we've worked through this. We've forgiven this person. We've, uh, you know, we've realized we're being ridiculous. We need to like, you know, change our way of thinking. That's a brain thing. But then there's also a stomach thing where you have this pit in your stomach um, when you get around certain people or circumstances. Um, and and that physiological manifestation of the psychological reality of um, you know my mind believes is trying to believe a new reality, but my my stomach still doesn't. <laughs> like that's that was the last frontier for me of um, of how do I deal with the gut issue of um, you know I have worked through this in my mind, but my my body is telling a different story. Uh, when I would work through an issue with Jesus, it wasn't just that my mind changed about an issue, my stomach changed. And I would immediately feel, you know, there was, a, there was one sort of tense relationship with complicated relational dynamics. And one day I was sitting on the couch on a Sunday afternoon and I saw, and this had been going on for a long time. And I've been sort of managing the feelings, but I hadn't been dealing with the feelings. Um, and I saw Jesus sitting on the couch next to me, and he said, you want to talk about it? And I said, yeah, I do. And he walked me through a memory from fourth grade um, that was sort of uh, behind a lot of these, these things that I had started to uh, believe in this friendship. And the next day, I saw this person at a, at a coffee shop. And instead of feeling like that gut-wrenching, like, oh no, there's that person who's going to reject me and hate me, um, and you know, I'm so sad uh, about this relationship, I actually felt like totally fine and totally peaceful. And it was miraculous. Like it was totally miraculous because I had never like all of my like you know, self-talk and journaling and thinking and forgiving and processing, like did not remove the gut rock, you know, in my stomach uh, that said, you really haven't worked through this. And working through the anchoring uh, painful memory with Jesus that was seemed unrelated to this relationship, but actually totally was. Uh, was the thing that really uh, helped me to um, to get rid of the the physiological part of that pain as well, um, and I think that that to me was like wow, if that's possible, that's a miracle, and the whole world needs to know about it. And so, um, basically, I've been on this journey of discovery now for uh, almost five years, where. I've been trying to invite Jesus into new contexts. And the, the long and short of it is um, I've been having a lot of new experiences. Um, I have gotten to see God's power at work in some pretty crazy ways. Because what happens is when you experience his presence every day, your faith rises and you start inviting him into like 
different scenarios that you never invited him into. Like, wow, you know, I, I can actually pray in faith for things that I never had faith for before. And I actually see um, mountains move, um, not only in my own personal, emotional, uh, and spiritual journey, but also in the physical. You know, I've, I, I've gotten to see in the last four and a half years many, many, like, legitimate, verifiable um, miracles in people's bodies as I pray for sickness and, um, you know, uh, demonic issues that people are having that, um, are, that are getting resolved and emotional issues and things like that. Um, but my, my real deep heart for people, uh, for you guys, and the reason that I'm sharing this story with you, hopefully just as an, as an encouragement, because um, I know your journey is different. Uh, my real heart is to help people experience the tangible, interactive, feelable uh, presence of God in their daily moment-by-moment life. Not not uh, once in a while, not even once a day, but many, many times a day. That I think this is uh, maybe what Paul means when he says, pray without ceasing. Always be attuned and aware of God's presence, of his movement. Always in the back of your mind, have this consciousness of God, like God might, God is here. I wonder what God wants to do right now. Um, and that's, that's my heart. And I think from that experience of his presence, like everything else flows, um, everything good flows. There's, and there's always a, a solution. There's always an answer. And I don't have to talk myself into it anymore. I wake up and I know that if I sit down and just gently uh, apply a little pressure to my will to turn my eyes towards Jesus. I know he'll be there and I know he will have good things in his hand and his heart for me. And, and all I need to do is just become aware and experience him. And in that sense, um, the Christian life has become the easiest thing I've ever done. Uh, it has become the lightest and easiest yoke I've ever carried. It's so much easier than trying to figure out life on your own. Um, what are you going to do? How are you going to feel? What are you going to think? Um, trying to sit there and with with deep introspection or uh, meditation, like you know, try to like figure out who you are and what you're about and what you're going to do and what you're going to think and what you're going to feel. Um, so much easier than listening to podcasts and sermons and. Um, audio books and, uh, you know, reading these books of other people, you know, saying, um, you know, this is, this is how you should live. This is how you should spend money. This is how you should do this. Like Jesus says, um, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And one of my core convictions, uh, increasingly as I've experienced this Jesus life in the kingdom is, um, the, the Christian life should feel like a light and easy yoke. And if it's not, it's possible that we're learning from other people besides Jesus. It's possible that we're not learning directly from Jesus. Um, because Jesus had this amazing way of carrying a cross and saying, and, and, uh, and really carrying a yoke of suffering and sorrow. Um, the, the Isaiah says he's a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And yet, um, and to the world, it looks like 
Uh, wow, Jesus is carrying a heavy and horrible yoke. And in some objective sense, that's true. But I think from the experience of Jesus, the joy set before him was so intense and so powerful um, that when he, even when he saw the cross, all he could see was the bride on the other side of the cross. Uh, you know, the joy of marrying the bride, the people of God, of getting to be intimate with, uh, with his chosen friends, his, um, his beloved people, his, his uh, sons and daughters, his brothers and sisters. Like that was the joy set before him, was the inheritance of the whole world and um, his ability to fill all things and all things being summed up in him. Like, it, like that was so joyful to him that even the cross was like a light and easy yoke. And when we get in the yoke with Jesus and learn from him, um, he carries most of the weight and he teaches us how to carry more and more weight so that the world will look at your life and say, how can you be so happy? How can you be so joyful? How can you wake up and say, you know, life with Jesus is the best and the easiest life, uh, the most joyful and wonderful life. When really you're dealing with cancer or chronic pain or, um, you know, rebellious kids or uh, relational issues or, you know, past traumas or whatever it is, like, how can you be this way? Uh, how can you love people the way you do? And you will be a different person. You'll be actually like Jesus because not because you have decided in your mind and heart that you're going to be like Jesus, but because you have set all of that stuff aside, all the religious stuff like Brother Lawrence talks about, just setting all the religious um, good stuff aside for the best thing of just uh, being aware of God in every circumstance and welcoming him into your heart, mind, and body. There's a pathway. And that's, I'm going to, I'm going to actually spend some time um, taking you guys through some exercises, some experiences. Uh, but for now, I just want to leave you with an encouragement that there is a pathway. It is reliable. It's consistent. Um, it feels counterintuitive at first. Um, because you enter as a child. Uh, but there is a pathway to experience more of God. Uh, and if you want to, to experience God in your day-to-day, moment-by-moment life, anytime that you want to connect with him, he's there. He loves you. Um, and his desire is always 100% of the time um, to be connected to you in a way that you can feel and know and experiences from him. So that's a bit of my story. And, uh, and I just pray that uh, even some of the examples of my own life, my own journey, and I know it's different than yours, but I pray that it would, um, it would drop into your mind like little seeds and would spark a little bit of organic growth where these little roots emerge these tendrils, these shoots come up out of the ground um, that becomes something that bears fruit and takes on a life of its own. Because um, that's really what we need. We need um, not, not a shot in the arm of inspiration and encouragement. We need a seed that takes on a life of its own. Um, and sometimes we get that through the testimony of others. You know, hearing my story, I want you to be saying, wow, that, that's for me too. 
That's not for super spiritual people. That's not for people in full-time ministry. That's for normal people. That's for me. Um, I am not disqualified from experiencing God every day of my life. Um, that's for me. So bless you guys. Um, I look forward to talking with you very soon.